How do we get on Pee Wee? By the way, there's a sandwich shop that has a sandwich called Paul's Reuben. Today on From A to Ziggy, Ballad of the Adventurers. Welcome to From A to Ziggy. This is the podcast in which we listen to every Bowie song in alphabetical order. My name is Thomas. My name is Travis. And today we're talking about Ballad of the Adventurers from the ball play. The ball play. On 19... When did this come out? 1981. Back to ball. Back to ball. So we're catching up with ball. Uh, apparently in the play, this takes place in a bar. It's sung by Ball in a bar, and he's sort of moralizing at all the other wretched men in the bar, just telling them about what crummy, crummy people they are, and shouldn't they be ashamed of themselves, and what, what would their mothers think? Yeah. Totally. And who, and who is he to judge? <laughs> right, exactly. Totally hypocritical. Spoiler, uh, I believe this is what he sings just before he stabs his friend. Is that right? See, I still haven't seen the ball play. We haven't had quite enough time to get those Blu-rays. Yeah, no, you know, the sifting Blu-rays. through all the Blu-rays we got sent. Yeah. Listener, by the way, if you still want to donate uh, some of those Blu-rays to us, we're, we're still accepting Blu-ray donations. You can email us at podcast at me to Ziggy to get our address. I believe you can write that off on your taxes. It's a charitable contribution. Uh, that is... Yeah, not confirmed. (laughs) (laughs) There's someone you should take your tax advice from. It's someone on a David Bowie podcast. Everybody knows that. So this is just, this is before the murder of the friend. The song we did before, Bales Him, uh, or Balls Him, takes place throughout the play, right? So it's not, it's not all reflecting from, from the end of the story, but you get parts of the end of the story. So this is before the murder. So he's not, he's, he hasn't murdered anyone yet. But he is. But he has. He is fixing too. And he has committed other crimes, right? Or at least he's not a nice man. No, he has been. From what the internet has told us about this play, he has been raising a considerable amount of hell, leaving a lot of destruction in his wake. Lots of drunken wild manning. News reports from the Twitterverse tell you that Bale is on a rampage. Yeah. And so yeah, he's 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 not doing. He's not a great guy. Not a nice man. Not a nice man. And a drinker. Heavy drinker. He's hitting the absinthe in this one. What's he say? It's he's he rakes the absinthe green oceans, and he's he's suffering from some depression, some uh, remorse over something, or he's at least you know not feeling great. Yeah, he's, he's hitting the bottle. Let's 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 go back down through through Bal's rap sheet here. So by this point, a, a young lady that Bal has has bedded has committed suicide. I believe related to him doing something terrible to her. Uh, what else does he do? Oh, he gets someone pregnant and then just bails. Bails. He just so bails. He just bounces. Ah! Hashtag. He bails. Bow, bow, bows, bow, bails. Um, and then just murders his friend. After this, uh, scene in the After bar. this scene. But by this time, he already had abandoned a pregnant lady and driven another lady to suicide. So yeah, he's he's got a lot of there's a lot of stuff in here about mothers, so he's he's definitely got some mother issues. Yeah, yeah, and then ball, uh, balls him. There's a lot of talk about the womb and which I think might have something to do with uh, Bertolt Brecht. 
Brecht's mother. I think his mother had just died when he wrote this play. He's a pretty wretched, tragic character, Ball, and a misunderstood genius, right? He's a, he's a poet. He's outside of society. He's kind of a, kind of an ancient version of Patti Smith. And uh, yeah, so the, and this is the prelude to his end. Yeah. As all good antiheroes, they all end up having to, they always seem to go too far. Um, there's something interesting about this song that I, I was noticing with the, the music. And of course the music is a more contemporary thing because it was all, I don't think there was any musical notation preserved with, with the play itself. Because, uh, so anyway, the, the music, all the music I think was written by Dominic Muldowney for the BBC production. So first of all, the music in this song is really kind of strange. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of dissonance going on, clashing notes, it sounds like. It's kind of hard to follow or predict where the music is going to go. The, all the different parts seem to be going all over the place. But there is one sort of through line throughout in between the second and third lines of every stanza. It sounds like, are you familiar with uh, Dido's Lament from the uh, play by Henry Purcell? Uh, Dido and Aeneas? I'm not familiar. So, saddest song ever written. Dido's Lament from Dido and Aeneas. Uh, listen to it sometime. You can YouTube it. And it's got this sort of descending bass line throughout. And so it's just before this woman's tragic death by suicide. And I feel like you hear it or you hear allusions to it all the time. Or it might just be that it's just such a, such a sad sounding musical figure that it just figures into really sad sounding music. So you hear something like it, I feel, I'm not sure if this is like a direct uh, allusion to it, but it sounds kind of like, it reminds me of that Nine Inch Nails song, Closer, mm-hmm. the, uh, the theme from the Downward Spiral that you also hear in other parts of that album, which of course, uh, of course is also suicide uh, related and or despair, you know, so it's like this really sad music. And here again, I, I feel like there's, it's, it's cut off a little bit, it's truncated, but it sounds kind of like Dido's Lament. So look it up sometime yeah. when you want to get really depressed. <laughs> just need a real, sometimes you just do need a good, sad, force it out kind of day. Yeah. And fun fact, Klaus Nomi actually does a good version of Dido's Lament. Klaus Nomi, who of course appeared with David Bowie on Saturday Night Live to perform The Man Who Sold the World. Yes. And uh, speaking of The Man Who Sold the World... Speaking of... That was yeah. a beautifully oh, yeah. impromptu that was segue. was a hell of a segue. But also, like I keep doing, is it's completely uh, premature because we haven't rated Ballad of the Avengers. Oh, we have not. So, uh, yeah, this is... It's kind of interesting with the... Uh, it's taken a couple of listens to really get to the point where I want to hear this song again because it's so kind of messy. Yeah. It's hard to... It, it doesn't stick in the brain very well. It's like, not I, catchy. I do... It's not catchy. I mean, not that it's intended to be catchy. <laughs> I won't listen to anything that doesn't have a big old hook in it. But when you're trying to, like, remember... Like, when we were just talking about the music, trying to, like, play it back in my head, and I find myself humming back Ball's Hymn more than I am Ball of the Adventure just because it follows much more traditional, like a musical style, you know, like it kind of like sticks in your brain and you're telling your brain, no, not that song, the other one. And you're trying to 
Condor. So because I'm not remembering it as thoroughly as I should, even though I was listening to it no more than a half hour ago, I would say I'll give it two and a half absinthe green skies. That that high? Green oceans. Green skies? Green oceans? Green oceans. It sounds like what it is. Like a sad, desperate, fare thee well. Yeah, I, I, I give it two absinthe green oceans just because it's... And it gets that bump just for being interesting enough, but only after I've listened to it a whole lot of times to sort of decipher it, pick it apart, mm. and find little allusions that I'm not really sure are there, but they're there for me. So two and two and a half. Um, speaking of Man Who Sold the World. Speaking of the Man Who Sold the World. <laughs> our listeners have a good attention span. Transition is a little bit more clunky now. <laughs> Yeah, so speaking of that, we, uh, you and I went to a concert not long ago uh, here in our headquarters, from A to Ziggy headquarters in Boston, Beantown, Clam Chowder Town. Um, <laughs> Everyone here calls it Beantown. <laughs> <laughs> right. that's, that's how you could spot people who have never been in Boston for more than like a week vacation is that they're like ah oh, I'm in Beantown I'm like no it's just like uh, when you're in Texas and you scream out the stars at <laughs> night are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas deep in the heart of Beantown oh, yes. here we are in Beantown and who shows up is uh, Holy Holy Mm-hmm. Woody Woodmansey's Holy Holy featuring Tony Visconti on bass. Uh, Glenn Gregory is the frontman. James Stevens on guitar. Paul Cutiford also on guitar. On sax and 12-string guitar was Terry Edwards. Keyboard, Bernice Scott and Jessica Morgan on backing vocals. Jessica Morgan being... Tony Visconti's daughter, who also opened, Slash the opener, yeah. Who also opened the show. So this is a slightly different lineup than came up when I Googled. I think we might have had a different yeah. keyboardist. And I believe it was it was his last show of the tour. So yeah, and it was Terry Edwards' last show, which I don't know how they're gonna I mean, they can still pull it off, but he was like he did He was all over the place. Yeah, he was a monster. He was really caring he 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 brought it out to a different place. He would bring in the, uh, the tenor sax on those songs that really need a sax. Basically all of the Ziggy stuff that they did. Yeah, the, a lot of the Ziggy stuff needed that sax. Uh, Soul Love, of course. Moon Age Daydream. Changes. So yeah, and then he also did 12-string guitar, which you also need in some of those songs. Oh yeah. So hopefully they've got someone uh, as capable to carry on afterwards. So let's talk about the show that we went to. Yeah. Very surprisingly, it was, it was a pretty sparsely attended show, especially considering they had just played a couple sold-out shows in New York. Granted, they had some high-profile people with them. They were playing with a whole bunch of guests. A whole a bunch star-studded of star-studded cast. Yeah, yeah, I was expecting very, a lot more. I think the cold probably kept a lot of people out. It was a very cold day. Yeah, it was freezing inside the venue. Yeah. I've like never a... been to an indoor show where I've been glad to have my jacket. Yeah. And I guess we should also... Pour one out for the fallen at that show. Uh, let's get this out of the way <laughs> at the beginning here. I had a great time at the concert, despite this venue's best efforts to ruin my night, <laughs> including draconian restrictions on bringing in leftovers. Because I spent more money on the leftovers that I had to throw out at the door 
that night than I did on the tickets yeah. for this show. And I'm not a big spender when it comes to, you know, going out to dinner, but it was the night that me and my partner were able to go out to dinner and we went to a special place with really great food mm-hmm. and we wanted to keep that keep that <laughs> magic going for the next day or two. And we were denied that magic yeah. by oh, the, the place where magic is supposed to happen. So, uh, yeah. So I, was, was I was really depressed. It was a rough start for I was really depressed at the beginning. However, the sadness did not last for long. No. Because Holy Holy was awesome. They Holy were Holy so was, good. They really picked up my mood. Oh, man. So they started off by doing Man Who Sold the World front to back. And yeah, just for gentlemen of their age, just heavy, loud, relentless. Not, not the men themselves, but the music. The music. And the, the men themselves, actually. They were pretty relentless. Um, they, they went hard. Very good shape for their age. Yeah, yeah. Very Woody, limber. Woody, yeah, had some guns. Yeah. Um, which you, you have to have as a drummer. Yeah. Like, um, he had some great fills throughout. That's some talent right yeah, there. Yeah, because that's a, it's a very, very technical record. Like, there's it's very proggy. It's a lot of twists and turns, a lot of strange rhythms. It's just very... Same with the bass, yeah. too. Uh, Tony Visconti has said a lot that uh, for The Man Who Sold the World, he played like he was playing lead guitar, but on the bass. And... I think he produced that record too. Yeah. Right. And people, you know, say, well, you were the producer. Of course, you wanted to feature yourself. But apparently, the story is Mick Ronson actually convinced him. He told this story during the show. He said Mick Ronson was the one who convinced him to play like. Uh, oh, well, play like Jack Bruce. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of like sliding up the fretboard, a lot of fancy stuff, and the bass fills in a lot of the melody. So it's kind of a Unique record in that way. Uh, kind of reminds me of Tubby the Tuba, which uh, I put this video up on Facebook. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out. I, one of my, I haven't been on Facebook a whole lot. One of my favorite discoveries from my prolonged adolescence. I didn't know it when I was a child, but I rediscovered it through Napster in the earlier part of my prolonged mm-hmm. adolescence as a college student. But Danny Kay had this album, this little record for children, and uh, it's, it was called Tubby the Tuba, and there was a cartoon that went along with it. And it's about Tubby the Tuba, who, you know, feels left out because the tuba never gets to play the melody. He tries to play this melody that's for the rest of the orchestra. And gets, this sounds kind of familiar. It's passed around the orchestra, and he kind of catches it, and he kind of flubs it, and everyone accuses him of ruining the music. And so he takes a break. Gets a lesson from a very erudite frog who <laughs> teaches him a song. And then he use, he asks, can I use the song? And he brings the song back to the orchestra. And it's great. And it's a thing that Tubby can play. And the whole orchestra picks it up. And, you know, they're all, it's all, it's a very warm and inclusive atmosphere, you know. And it's a sto- story about playing to your strengths and uh, finding a thing you can do and doing it great. So, and this record is kind of like that. I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of great bass playing that's, you know, you don't hear bass like that in no. many places. It, it is basically like having just another guitar in there. Just yeah. a really heavy, low-end guitar. Yeah. yeah. Getting to hear it live, was, it was amazing. Because you don't really appreciate how heavy that record is until it's like being blasted in your face. Just the fact that they can carry off songs like uh, Save Your Machine. Yeah. Live. And uh, after all, 
or no, all the Mad Men. Yeah. <laughs> the part where uh, there's the recorder, and uh, Jessica Morgan yeah. plays the recorder in the middle of it, and then she does the part. Where it's like the, the talking music. part in yeah, the middle? The, yeah. yeah. She she does the part while Glenn Gregory is doing the Where Can a Nation Who Hides Its Mind? She does the, in the background, she does, It Followed Me Home, Mom. Can I keep it? Which was fun. So they do the whole record. With the Circle, All the Mad Men, Black Country Rock. After all, Running Gun Blues. Now that's a troublesome song. This yeah. is always kind of a... This is a song that kind of gives me pause. Oh, it's so badass, though. <laughs> it is so badass. It really is. And you have to appreciate it in a certain way, which we'll get to when we get to the R's, of course. Yeah. But it makes me a little bit uncomfortable <laughs> to be in a room with a bunch of 40-year-old Boston types... Uh, rocking out as someone uh, sings about shooting gooks. It's it's yeah. And I and I wonder if they're if they're appreciating it the same in the same way that I am. If if they're if they're troubled by this at all. Yeah. As as much as I am, because they're just because I, I couldn't dance to this song. It is it's a hard it, it is it's it is such a dark song. And this is the thing that kind of this is an ongoing debate. Like I can sometimes ignore lyrics to a certain extent if the rest of the song is good enough that i can get past they're kind of uncomfortable and and still just enjoy the song for what it is like when i was in high school much like a lot of other people in our age bracket listened to a little bit of eminem i got sucked in that whole thing too and a lot of it a lot of his lyrics are horrible horrible he just says and does some horrible things on his record but i was always very mesmerized by just like way he makes words play off each other like it's i cringe now when i listen to it as a 33 year old i don't listen to it as often as i did when i was 16 or 17 but i'm able to kind of separate one thing from the other and even though it's horrible horrible things are being said it's a similar thing with that song it's it's still it's tricky yeah it's tricky to sometimes you got to write it off as these are things you could that weren't you don't want to ignore the lyrics yeah but you don't you don't want to get too deep into it I, I feel like I don't want to be grooving to a song. I don't want to like... It's kind of like Robert Downey Jr. playing a black man in... Uh, what was the name of it? It was uh, uh, Tropic, Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. And, you know, really going all the way with it. Yeah. And like he says, not give, not getting out of the character until after he does the yeah. director's commentary. Which I thought was... I, I really did think that was a great commentary on... Uh, it was great satire. And I think that's why he got away with it. I mean, there was still some controversy because there's always going to be controversy when blackface is involved. <laughs> to be real. But because it was such a great satire on method actors, I think he kind of got away with it. Yeah. But... But you and I can't. Like we can't. No, I couldn't get away with that. We can't. We can't do. We can't do the musical theater version of Tropic Thunder. No. The, the community theater version of Tropic Thunder. Like that's just not going to ever no. happen. I couldn't just walk out the door in blackface and be like, "It's political commentary." Yeah. Like no, no. There's a certain setting in which it's okay. Yeah. And I guess a tribute show where you're covering the album and not leaving out any songs or any words is the right time and place. But I still felt uncomfortable being in the audience yeah. at that time and place. I mean, it's not. I'm not saying it's like, a, not all songs are fun and danceable without making you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm just trying to justify the fact that I really like this song a lot. It was a great performance. And it was a great performance. I guess we should say, oh man. This it was is heavy. Gonna, it was God, like that's really, going to be a really meaty episode when we get to that. It was a loud one. one. That was a it loud was song. A very loud one. 
Yeah, so then, um, oh, and actually one more note on, the, um, on Man Who Sold the World. I was curious how, um, how After All was going to sound because it is such a weird song with so many weird things going on that it could be really hard to pull off live. And I thought it sounded spectacular. Yep, uh, it, had, it, had the, uh, it had the synthesizers in. So they had the yeah. two. They had two electric guitars. Yeah, going. And, and, and every and once in a while, string. and every once in a while, uh, both guitar, both electric guitarists would come out to the center of the stage and play play two solos at the same time, and they would sort of counterpoint off yeah. of each other. Yeah, there was a lot more of that in the show than there is on the album. Yeah, which I also thought like, which oh, that I love. It was kind of it was it was like eighties metal at times like not the corny 80s metal but like iron maiden type of crap like really like heavy guitar like dueling guitar solos yeah so yeah that was really that was really cool so rounding out the album save your machine which again is another weird one to perform live yeah and the man who sold the world and who sold the world which i that so that kind of gave me a little bit of a moment so April 5th is also the anniversary of when the coroners were able to basically guesstimate that when Kurt Cobain actually died was April 5th. Is that right? Um, found on April 8th. So usually when I do my like, I'm a sad Nirvana fan, I commemorate April 8th more. But I was also, you know, I'm conscious of April 5th. And that's the date of the show. Yeah. So to hear them play The Man Who Sold the World and like that was my introduction to Man Who Sold the World was seeing Nirvana play it on Unplugged. So that was kind of a, a poignant moment huh. uh, when they played that. Wow. So that was, yeah, that was, that was really neat to be able to hear that on that night. Hmm. And it was a version of the song that was very much like the album. Yeah, it was definitely, version. yeah, more the album version, naturally. Uh, yeah. Uh, another one that was uh, more like the album version than the other version that you might hear a lot of the time was the Superman, the album closer for The Man Who Sold the World. And this is a song I've always really liked, but... That's actually, as the more I've listened to that album, become one of my two or three favorites on there. Great song. And uh, Woody Woodman's even does the sort of, I don't know if you'd call it a timpani, but there's a very large rim drum that he was playing. I mean, I think on the record it's supposed to be a timpani or a kettle drum, but he's got a big drum that he plays, and it's like got two different pitches. Or, so there's two drums, I guess. But he did that live, and that just gives that song just this huge sound yeah as befitting a song about giants in ancient times so they finished up with the superman and then tony visconti came up and you know said a few words and then they went into some some other stuff some ziggy era stuff hunky dory it was predominantly just those two records yeah pretty much it was all ziggy hunky dory and uh aladdin sane and then they did one song from Space Oddity yeah. as part of the medley, which, of course, David Bowie had done during the Ziggy concerts. Yeah, which, oh, that, that had to be one of my other... There were so many highlights. That was a great... Uh, but that was a huge highlight right there. The medley? Yeah. Yeah. So when I saw... When I went to see the, uh, the movie recently, Ziggy Stardust, the motion picture, at the Brattle Theater, that was one that I was not really familiar with. I did not know that they had done that medley. And so I was getting ready to enjoy Wild-Eyed Boy from Free Cloud. And then in the middle of the chorus, they launch into and just like smoothly transition into all the young dudes. And it's just amazing how well those songs fit together. Yeah. And you're, if you're not expecting it, it's like, it really, really hits you hard. And then it's so effective because All the Young Dudes is a huge sing-along song. Like you just, you, you can't help yeah. but get into it. And then it was seamless from all the young dudes to oh you pretty things. Yeah. 
Yeah, God, that was amazing. Uh, Life on Mars was incredible. And actually, it was, it was appropriate they were playing that song at the moment they were, because my girlfriend's more of an 80s Bowie person, so I kind of had to talk her into going this one. At one point, she's like, this is really good, but I wish there was some 80s Bowie. <laughs> and I was like, ah, embrace the 70s Bowie. And they were playing Life on Mars. I was like, this song is perfection. You Come on. I mean, she does, it's like she doesn't like 70s Bowie. She definitely likes Life on Mars. But 80s Bowie is more her familiarity. Right. So Life on Mars, Glenn Gregory introduced it by saying that he loves this song, that it's really important to him. And he gets emotional singing it. And he sang the hell oh my God. out of this song. Yeah. Just soared during the chorus. It was really amazing. And I will say this for Glenn Gregory. If there's one thing that makes you really enjoy a show more, it's when you look on stage and you're like, that person is having about as much fun as they have ever had in their life right now. And he just, the whole time, is just, you can tell that he is someone who grew up loving David Bowie and every night is like, I'm playing David Bowie with the guys who played with David Bowie. This is amazing. I'm going to put on this crazy leather suit and kick and <laughs> jump and just... Yeah, there were a lot of acrobatics. Oh, a lot of acrobatics. But <laughs> he kept poking me and be like, I'm really worried they're not going to be able to get back up. Yeah. <laughs> they are older gentlemen. Yeah. But there was, so there was a really wonderful, awkward moment when um, he was addressing the crowd and accidentally called us Chicago. Now, I thought he was, he was playing up the whole Brit lost in the U.S., thing like he's he's saying that to in in every city except chicago of course like, oh i thought it was a genuine flub because yeah, he's he said it twice because they were just in new york and then baltimore i know i was thinking i was like have they even been then, in chicago lately and then so they're going down the eastern or up the eastern seaboard yeah they're just heading up north and east yeah it's like i don't know if it was one of those like we've just been traveling so much and we're old or I, I just thought he was playing up, you know, like, I don't know anything about the geography in uh, the UK. I don't even know the difference between the UK and England. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, you know, someone coming over and, uh, you know, being confused about where the cities are. Uh, I thought it was just a genuine Spinal Tap moment. And these very typically, probably a little inebriated, very Boston guys the rest of the night... Yeah, Chicago, the uh, Windy City. And it was it was pretty funny the first couple times. But by the time we were like almost at the end of the show and they're still holding on to it. Like, all right, guys. Yeah. Had your moment. Yeah, I was just that was that was one of the things that was trying to get at me, turn me off on that that whole night with some of the people in the crowd. And listener, if that was you, I'm not sorry for being annoyed. Uh, punch yourself in the face for me. <laughs> Because I'm not going to do it. I'm too cowardly. But uh, <laughs> please, deal with yourself for me. Because uh, I, I totally think that we have more listeners than we have. <laughs> They're out there. You guys, sure. you know who you are. Um, also uh, very cool when they, uh, when they brought Jessica Morgan back out to sing. So she opened and then was also doing backing vocals and some recorder. And she came out and did lead for Lady Stardust. And yeah, that was unsurprisingly also amazing. Yeah. So they closed... Much like the Ziggy era shows, they closed it out with Rock and Roll Suicide, mm -hmm. which was moving as hell. And then they came back, did a two-song encore. Yeah, um, starting with Time. Starting with Time. One of my favorite songs. And I gotta admit, I got a little bit choked up. And then Suffragette City, another great and timely song. It being an election year here in the mm -hmm. U.S. In case anyone hasn't heard about that. <laughs> yeah. 
And yeah, then, they they wailed that too. That yeah. was that was also very heavy. Another it, like it got louder. The show got louder. Yeah, and louder they were as like as, as I was getting like losing steam. They were just like just energizing. Yeah. So I was kind of starting to like really running on adrenaline at that point. And they were just like getting stronger and stronger. I was like, oh man, these 70 year old men are in way better condition than I am. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they even said like, uh, hey, we can play all night. Yeah. Which I was almost hoping that they would do, but almost in the back of my mind, I just was ready to go to sleep. Yeah. But it didn't end there. It did not end there. After the encore. They came out, they took bows. They got together and bowed at the front of the stage. People were still screaming and Glenn Gregory was basically like, hey, you guys want to hear Starman? No. So Glenn Gregory was ready to head back. Oh, it was it? Oh, okay. Tony Visconti comes up and whispers in Glenn's ear. And then he comes up to the uh, mic and says to us, you guys want to hear Starman? And Which, of course. Yeah. yeah if someone Starman. asks you if you want to hear Starman, every time you say yes. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. So And so they, they do this. They get all set up. Glenn Gregory has to get some... Uh, a lyric sheet because they haven't rehearsed this song yet and then he he, he says I have lyrics but I have no glasses <laughs> uh, but he, he remembered him fine he did it he did fine he, yeah he was fine and yeah they, they proceed to do the song Starman they weren't quite sure how to end it which was kind of funny yeah um, but they did it they did it fine they did it and it was yeah it was a great moment and then we all slinked out of the freezing cold theater and Called it a night. Out into the freezing cold uh, outside. More freezing cold. And also, I found it very amusing that when you, apparently, if you walk by the Holy Holy bus, um, you will then reek like weed for the rest of the night, probably. Before and after the show, when we were walking by to head into the show, I just figured there were some people in a back alley like, oh, we're going to go see the David Bowie show. Let's get a little high first. And then on the way out of the show, I smelt it again as I was walking by the bus. I was like, nope, the tour bus just reeks like weed. <laughs> Because it's David Bowie's band. How did I not notice that? Uh, I think I was starting to get a cold. Uh, I'm glad. I'm sorry I missed that. I mean, more power to them. Yeah. They're still living that rock and roll life. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> this is why I want to grow up to be a, a rock star. Oddly enough, Holy Holy did not perform the song Holy Holy. Yeah. Which... Twist. Yeah, so I, 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 gave, I give the Holy Holy performance five... Absinthe Green Oceans. Uh, I don't know. I will also give it five Absinthe Green Oceans. <laughs> okay. Five <Yeah>. Cannabis Green <laughs> Smoke Clouds. Weed reeking tour buses. <laughs> yeah, just an, an incredible performance. Yeah, they crushed it every, yeah. in every way possible. And they, you know, to their credit, they could have totally phoned it in that night. They could have walked out there and seen like this sparse little Boston crowd in the freezing cold theater and been like, well, let's just play our hour and a half and get it over with and call it a night. But yeah. they left it all out there. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, and, and we got that special treat. We got the second encore. Yeah, which we looked at some other set lists before we recorded, and no one else got a second encore. Which I wasn't sure if they did that because they liked us so much, like because we uh, deserved it, <laughs> or if it was because... It was a smaller audience anyway, and so they had less... Work the kinks out. Less to lose by, yeah, by doing something they were uncertain about. I want to believe it's the the first, but it's probably the second. Yeah. It was a decent crowd. It was, you know, people were singing along to everything, even the deep cuts. It was a small but mighty crowd. Yes. 
That's true. That's true. Yeah. Everybody there was really familiar and, you know, just was really into it. Yeah, it was a good show. Glad I went. Very glad. It was worth trekking out on that night, mm-hmm. on a cold night. It was worth, definitely worth the price of admission. More oh, yeah. than worth the price of admission. It was an amazing show. Yeah. So if you don't live in Boston and you have a chance to see Holy Holy on this tour, you need to do yourself a favor and go see Holy Holy. And hopefully they come back to Boston because I will, I will see them again. Yeah. When this show goes out, they're still touring. So yeah, if you have a chance, definitely do it. Go see a bunch of 70-year-old men have way more fun and have way more energy than you, basically. Yeah, so yeah, I, I had a blast. Sounds like you had a blast. I had a blast. We had a blast blast. Blast on blast. The two of us, two blasts. A blast blast. Kind of a, a bang bang, if you will. It was kind of a bang bang. And uh, hey, speaking of which, you know, there's a song by that mm. title. I don't say. Uh, and in a couple of days, we'll be back and talking about that song. In the meantime, you can uh, follow us on Facebook and on Twitter, From A to Ziggy. You can go to fromadiziggy.com and uh, leave a comment on the episode page for today's show. Tell us what you thought of... What, what song did we do uh, we were this had started off as Ballad of the Adventurers. Ballad of the Adventurers. And then we started talking about some other actual adventurers. What did you think of Holy Holy if you saw one of their shows? Uh, yeah, tell us about it. If you'd like to be a guest on your favorite David Bowie podcast that talks about all of his songs in alphabetical order, get in touch with us. Podcast at FromAtoZiggy.com is our email address. Also, leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Uh, That'll help us get more attention thrown at us. And until bang, bang, uh, my name's Thomas. Travis. See you later. Did he steal like a wreath to put on his head? Because it says a looted wreath. Or is that, that must be the style of decoration. Yeah. It doesn't say anything in the, in the plot synopsis about him stealing a wreath. But I mean, that could be just a small thing that happens along the way. Hmm. Or yeah. it's a style thing. We probably should have gotten us a wreath expert for this. Yeah. Uh, so if you're a wreath expert, listener, please some send corrections to... Wreathologist. Or some sort of qualified wreath. Arian. Not an Arian. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can be an Aryan. There's nothing wrong with against that. Against it, we just but. don't have a preference for it. Did you ever see uh, the Charlie Chaplin movie, uh, The Great Dictator, where they ask him, "Are you an Aryan?" He says, "Well, I'm a vegetarian." <laughs> uh,